0: Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access, where you get an inside look at the great coaches, student-athletes, alumni, and supporters that make Long Beach State Athletics so special. I'm your host, Rob Clark, Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Relations. Today we're joined by one of the most respected coaches in college baseball, Head Coach Troy Buckley. Buck, how you doing today?
1: Good, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. We're uh, we want to delve in and get to know you better here. So sure, that's, that's really what we're doing here. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so so let's start. How'd you <clears throat>
1: fall in love with baseball? Well, I think uh, as with any success and that you're successful at what you're doing and you're getting success, you're getting confidence in it, and I think that's really what it came down to. You know, as you as I'm younger and playing all kinds of sports. Um, Baseball seemed to be the one that you're getting, that I was getting the most return based off success on. And when you get that, you have a a little higher level of self esteem, a little bit more confidence level, and you learn to, you know, enjoy the positives. um, And then you learn that, hey, there's going to be some negatives, but you're willing to push through them because you've already formed a foundation of return um, on it.
0: So that didn't happen with swimming for you, then?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> My, this body type is not quite conducive <laughs> for that, that's for sure.
0: Uh, so you you had an all-American career at Santa Clara. So tell, tell us about your experience while you were a student athlete.
1: Oh, man. I, I, I think the first thing is I, I wish that I could have done a better job of is be a better teammate, to be honest with you. Now of, of the of the position that I sit right now, uh, what I ask of our team and individually, and I ask them to put the team above anything else, um, including their own personal agendas. Um, I, I think I was a little too immature looking back, and I guess the one thing that, that would counterbalance that would be a high level of productivity. And, and you have to be careful of, you know, justifying a high level of productivity versus not being honest with yourself as far as the maturity level and the the consummate teammate that you need to be and that you need to be able to become. So I, I had a fantastic time. I mean, back then in 86, I graduated high school. Um, I got recruited by three schools, Cal, Santa Clara, and San Diego State. And I got a letter of intent in the mail from San Diego State, and I never met the coaches. I just talked to them on the phone. So my mom and dad said, well, you're not going there. And I'm like, okay, it seemed kind of cool, though. Um, and back in those days, being in Northern California, Southern California was a completely different state. We just You just never got down here. And um, it's completely different now as far as, you know, if we're playing now, I mean, it could be anywhere from LSU to Miami to at, at this time because of the way the recruiting is versus back then. so Santa Clara was the right fit for me. Um, smaller, um, you know, just, just a lot more intimate, which was important to me. And it was a not knowing that but more instinctually feeling that was a, one of the greatest decisions of my life that I made, not only educationally because it – it really pushes you in the classroom, um, but all the friendships that I've made, all the relationships—you um, know—I I, I, can't—I can't begin to thank wow. that opportunity enough for that university and, and also you know the experience with my coaches, with my teammates, and you know everything that went through there.
0: Now, after all-American numbers you're putting up, you're playing catcher there, right? Right, right, right. Y- you were then drafted in 1989 by the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. What's life like in professional baseball? Kind of walk mm. through those who haven't lived that life and, and had that experience.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a difference between, you know, being a professional and being a professional. There, there's there's a difference between the two. Just because you sign a contract does not mean you're a professional player. It does in the literal sense because you are now longer an amateur, but when you're a professional at if it's baseball, if it's coaching, if it's you know a company, your acute awareness and your dedication and your commitment to that craft and that unit is is at the, the highest level. And that's where I that's the difference between hey yeah, I play pro ball versus different world he's a pro. There's a big difference there. So besides the grind of competition. I mean, hey, everybody that gets drafted is good. I mean, they're not bringing people in there that don't have talent. So it starts with talent and then you have work ethic, you have makeup. you have a lot of different other layers that go on to it. and it it I loved it. I, I love I love the friendships. I love relationships. I love team. Those are things that I love. Pro ball doesn't give you as much of that as college does because it's way more individualized. But there's still—I have some fantastic friendships and relationships to this day from times that I spent. But I love the travel. And if you like to travel, pro ball is a good good deal. You like uh, the
0: bus bus trips too? Not
1: necessarily <laughs> the bus, but I, I did like—I I like change. I, I, I like— the ability to not be stagnant. I'm all about routines, but I don't like to be stagnant in one thing. I like to mix things up. I just got off the phone with Tula Whiskey, and he bought a house in outside of Tampa, which is near Dunedin, which is his spring training complex now. And he is leaving on Sunday to go out there a week. And I'm like, hey, what do you got? He goes, well, I want to get on the field. I'm not going to get on the field in Vegas. That's where he lives in the offseason. And I just want to mix things up because he's been doing the same thing PT-wise, conditioning-wise, all those things, and I, I love that. And I think pro ball gives you that avenue instead of this mundane 8-to-5 job, you know, Monday through Friday, so on and so forth. I, I love the, the, the people. I love the change. I love the, the different weathers. I love, the, uh, the comp- I love competition. I mean, I really do love competition. You're going to get a ton of it in pro ball.
0: Now, now, in the midst of all this, you you bounce around a few minor league teams while you're mm-hmm. playing, and then eventually ended up at the uh, in the Expos organization, right? And that led to some type of coaching here. Now, so walk us through how you went from a professional career in baseball to now a coaching career in baseball.
1: Yeah, so it, it I'll I'll, re, I'll retract just a little bit, but 1994 was the strike year, so I was with the Reds in '94. Jim Bowden, who was then the general manager for the Reds, was very staunch and adamant, not in a bullying sense, but, yes, in a bullying sense, coming down to the minor league guys and saying, hey, listen, you guys need to cross. if Because they, they had all intent to be able to go with, that we call them scab players, mm-hmm. um, so non-major league players to begin a major league season. And there was tons of enticement of that enticement were multi-year contracts in the minor leagues, you know, guaranteed money, um, you know, not huge money, but money that you'd like to come in and is nice at that particular stage of your career. So there was more of us that decided not to. The union did help us get home in the middle of spring training and they helped us with some finances just on a day-to-day stuff because we weren't going to camp. Well, eventually the season almost started And it didn't start, but the damage was already done. There's a lot of guys that were ready to go on that scab team that were guaranteed spots. So I made a team in 94, and I was in Chattanooga in the Southern League with the Reds. And what ended up happening about a month into it, the guys that were guaranteed contracts from crossing the line ended up pushing me out. So I got released in 94 at about a month and a half into the season, had the best spring training of my career, I mean, I was playing well. Um, there was no issues as far as that was concerned. Then my manager the year before, when I was in Chattanooga in 93, he was managing in Harrisburg with the Expos. I He asked me, hey, you, want, you need a job. I go, yeah, I do need a job. So within three weeks, I go from being unemployed to being picked up with the Expos. And the Expos were... I mean, hey, they were a very, very talented group. And ownership was in Montreal, but the minor leagues were in Florida, meaning that that's where the minor league office was. Mm -hmm. So ownership didn't really care about what happened in in the States. (laughs) They cared about what happened in Montreal. And as we went through that process, a lot of people in the Expos organization, the farm director at the time, Bill Guyvette, worked for Dave Snow here. Hmm. Jim Benedict, the pitching coordinator, played and coached for Dave Snow here. And then you have um, Pat Rossler, who was the hitting coordinator, who was the best hitting coordinator I've ever been, even though I only had him for a short time in 95. He had roots back to Arizona. So, you know, you end up crossing all these people and there's a lot of similarities. So little did I know I end up playing in 95, finish it up with the Expos. um, And then I was a free agent. So I could have signed with the Royals or the Astros as a six-year free agent. Guy Vett calls me and says, hey, you want to be a player coach in Ottawa in AAA? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want I'm going to keep playing. You <laughs> right. want to keep playing as long as you can. So I I, I I was 27. I had three right knee surgeries, an elbow surgery throughout my seven years of my career. Um, that's no excuse. I'm not using that an excuse. But the The mental and emotional preparation to get your body and your mind ready for six months for 142 games is extensive. And that is what I started to lose the desire to do. And I'm like, I was married at the time, and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to give this a shot. This is the best decision I ever made. I mean, I start coaching with Pete McCannon, who is now the Phillies major league manager he was the manager for the ottawa Lynx. um pat Rossler was the hitting coordinator jim benedict was the pitching coordinator bill Gavette was the farm director dave littlefield ended up being another farm director for us who was then he became the the gm for the pirates you know so you just end up being around a lot of good people neil huntington was the assistant farm director with the expos Neil's now the GM of the Pirates, and that's how I got eventually over to the Pirates in, later in my career, in my coaching career. So, you know, just around really, really good people and was very, very influential in my development.
0: Incredible. Now, that you mentioned a connection with Coach Snow and the Dirtbags program. Mm-hmm. How, how then did you transition into college coaching?
1: Oh, that was a lifestyle change. That was, you know, basically my ex-wife wanted – we had our first – our oldest child – who is now a sophomore in college? She was born in '97 in West Palm Beach. So '96, I was coaching in Ottawa, um, and we were—I call it single married—meaning I was by myself and she was back in California mm-hmm. with my ex. And then '90, and then she got pregnant in the offseason of '97, '98. I went to go coach in extended spring training, Gulf Coast League in West Palm Beach. So I had Milton Bradley, you know. Um, Brad Fulmer, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. So there's a, a lot of good players that mm-hmm. I had a chance to to be around, um, and then my my ex-wife was with me there. We had our first child. She's like, I don't want to keep doing this, you know, moving every six months type of deal. And Santa Clara had a the head coach who I played for retired, and the assistant coach Mike Cummins got the job, and he called me and said, Hey, would you be interested in coming back? to Santa Clara to coach. And I didn't necessarily want to from a professional standpoint, Mm -hmm. but I did in order to try to save what I could of my family and and make it a better family situation. So that is how I transitioned into college. I knew nothing about college baseball. I I mean, I I felt the ability I can motivate men or boys and coach enough, but this whole recruiting thing and completely different. And then John Savage, who's a... Once Santa Clara, he's three years older than me, and he's the head coach now at UCLA. He was the assistant at USC at the time, and he taught me everything I knew about recruiting everything about where to go, who to see, where do you find these players. You know, he was extremely int- instrumental in my development as a recruiter, no mm-hmm. question.
0: Now, how did you get con- connected with Coach Snow and Coach Weathers?
1: So I was down in Santa Clara for three years, and with John's Um, advice he says you need to recruit in Southern California if you take a Southern California player and match him against an equal Northern California player you will always want to lean toward the Southern California player if all things are equal because of the competition because of they play under the lights down here the weather I mean there's a lot of differences that that just kind of elevate that area so I was down here a ton I drove down how many times on that five to recruit <laughs> down here? I'd run into Coach Horton. I run into Savage. I run into Coach Weathers. He was an assistant. Occasionally I run into Snow. Head coaches weren't always out like they are now in the recruiting aspect. And so Jim Benedict coached for Snow, played for Snow. Jim Benedict played or coached for Weathers at Chapman. Mm. Dave Malpass was with the Expos as a amateur cross-checker on the West Coast. He coached for Dave Snow on the 91 team here. And Bill Guyvet, who is eventually moved to the Dodgers and he went to the Rockies and assistant general manager, he coached for Snow at Loyola and at Long Beach State. So those connections and those roots all came back to Snow. And then so I think after Long Beach didn't make the regional in 2000, and I was, I want to say I beat my head against the wall, but, you know, I, I was, I gave a lot to try to get Santa Clara better. Um, there seemed to be a threshold that we just couldn't get over in the th- three short years. Snow called and said, Hey, I heard, you know, you would you be interested in coming down here? And I'm like, The no brainer. Because at that same time, John Savage, the UC Irvine head job from USC. Mm-hmm. But they were waiting a year before they were actually going to start. So John had a whole year to recruit, to build the stadium, to do all that kind of stuff. And he offered me his assistant position at the same time Snow offered me the assistant coach job here. And I just felt in my heart the right thing to do was be with Snow. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. So so since then you've been a
0: dirtbag. Mm-hmm. Um, our baseball program obviously took on the name Dirtbags and and later became the mascot for baseball. For you, what does it mean to be a dirtbag?
1: Well, I I think you know not not going back to retract what you said is when I came down here I, I was yeah on my the shirts that they gave me to go out recruit said dirtbags, but in my mind I wasn't a dirtbag. I, I I earned nothing at that particular point. I had to go and put the work in and do what my job was to do, which was to provide quality student-athletes to Coach Snow and Coach Weathers in this university for us to be successful and get to another level, which was to win a national championship. That, that was my only desire when I got down here. So I didn't feel like I was a part of that family, and this was just me feeling this way. Everybody else was very cordial and, and very open arm, But me you've got to earn that stripe. And so I felt after you know doing what I thought was necessary as far as my job, recruiting and coaching, then and only then did I feel like, yeah, I, I can put that stamp up there. So that is one thing yeah. that really is important to me. It doesn't matter where they come from. There's no entitlement by just signing a letter of intent and saying that you're at Long Beach State and I'm a dirtbag. Yes, you can say it, but at the same time, there has to be some meaning and some actions to that, and you have to earn the opportunity to be called that. Our team has to earn that again this year. I think we've earned it in plenty of years here that I've been a head coach. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, and one is accountability. One is responsibility. One is no entitlement. One is mental toughness. One is work. You got to learn how to work. Um, you've got to be committed to something bigger than what you are, and you have to win. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, within the process of staying within the process in order to get the result. And I, I think we're we're getting better and better as even as the generations change and the the priorities and sometimes the morals and and the values change. In that, you know. The events that occur, you don't have a lot of control of. The outcome, you don't have a ton of control of. What you do have a lot of control of is how we respond to those events. So if we can go through this building process of what mental toughness is and a dirtbag is, and we can make the events very difficult for them, if that's through conditioning, if that's through adversity... Whatever it is, if we can do that and we can handle that, we're on a better step toward having better outcome. And I think that's part of what we're trying to what we have built, what we are building, and we will continue to build. But again, it's not it's not it's not a given just because you did it last year. Mm-hmm. You, you have to you got a completely new year, a new team, new personalities. Everybody's in a different position, um, you know. So. That's what it means you know, in a long sesh session of what it means to be a dirtbag. There's a lot that goes into it.
0: You know? and, I, and I know you and I have talked off-air quite a bit about the, the power of the process. And, um, and clearly you've learned the process and, and the recruiting process from many, many people, including Coach Savage. Uh, you've been instrumental in bringing in and developing major league talent. Evan Longoria, Abe Alvarez, Jared Weaver – Brian Shaw, Troy Tulawizky, Duffy, Espinoza, many others. Uh, h- how have you made this happen here at Long Beach State, and really, what's influenced your coaching style in this this process as well?
1: Yeah, well, I I think the first thing is it's a it's a collaborative effort. It's not just me. I mean, you know, I may be in charge of recruiting at that particular time, but the bottom line is they didn't just come here because. I got on the phone with them and sat in front of them. I mean, they came here because of what Snow created. They came here because of what Coach Weathers created. They came here from what the players before us have created. You know, so there's a lot to sell. I mean, and, and really it's not even a sales job because we believe in what we're doing here. So I think these guys that chose here, um, they were they wanted to be a part of a baseball school. That they wanted, They came here, not that they don't want to get their degree because many of them have. Uh, many of them don't need to. Um, but at the same time, they came here as a very mature decision to go to college because part of their priority system is baseball. And at that point, why not? I mean, the track history kind of speaks for itself as far as this place, as far as winning and development, which I think you can do both, which is process driven as well. Um, They made unbelievable choices because you could go to X University with football on Saturday for six Saturdays out of the year. You can go to a more on-campus environment. I mean, there's just a lot of options for people. I mean, both phone, apps, schools, roads, cars, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So what is going to separate you? And I think the big part is trying to find out what do they want and do we have – do we offer what they want? And if that happens, then we got a chance. If they're not being honest with themselves or with us, then it's gonna be a little bit difficult because we're gonna be led a certain way and then eventually a no's gonna happen, which it happens a lot in the recruiting process. Um, And then you start questioning you know, what's going on here. Well, part of the reason is they just weren't very transparent Or they were just too young to really know what they really wanted, Um, which I hear a lot eight years down the road. Five years down the road, they're like, "Ah, I should have went there. Man, I should have went there. I'm like, hey, you're going to make the best of your situations. And I think we're looking for guys that want to be here because you're going to have to – you're going to go through plenty of struggles and adversities. And if you know that you want to be here and the reason why you're here, you're going to be able to deal with that much better than – if you're questioning it. Mm-hmm.
0: College baseball is really unique as you have many that will uh, leave for the draft process. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you recruited them, signed them, they they leave. Uh, so a- as you've gone through this process, you, you really have to to evaluate talent differently. But as you've done that and you've, you've selected the right ones, you feel like fit the culture of, of the Dirtbags program, how do you then develop that talent from being successful to in many regards major league all-star
1: talent. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think anybody ever sat here and said that Troy Tulowitzki is gonna be an eight-time all-star and a Hall of Famer. I, I I don't I don't think we went into that thinking that we think that Troy Tulowitzki is a very serious baseball player. He's a very serious person. He's committed to being the best. He's massively competitive. He has skills. He has projection to his body, to his mind, and he has the will to get better. So we knew that we were going to get a good player because of that, but to where they're going to end up eight years down the road, I think – if I could do that, I wouldn't be coaching. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> making a lot of money somewhere prognosticating the the market or something like that. But and, and I think it's one of those things where I don't think the scout and the organization that signed Greg Maddox thought he was going to win 300 games or said, you know what, 300-game winner in the report. It's just completely unfair. It, it, it really is unfair. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it is the foundation that they've received here through the coaches through the the quality of competition that we play through the expectations through the honesty that we provide to them has made them be not micromanaged but made them be quality self evaluators so when they go into the real world of professional baseball where nobody's going to step on you and you know put your thumb on you or question you or you know have these really tough conversations um, they have learned to be able to meander through all of the, tr- the trials that are going there I think their mental game stronger and I think they just know themselves better I think they're just way more mentally mature than they were three years ago before they got here and part of that is just the process of growing as a person and then you do the additive of us with our system and what we're asking from our guys, um, and I think it, it, it it's it's a good recipe, you know, for for that. But bottom line is, these guys were good players before they got here. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- they were talented. So, did is it awesome that they completely changed their lives, their sons' lives, their families' lives, their parents' lives, their future generations on it? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's one great feeling when you see those guys succeed like that. You know, not just fiscally, but but winning as well,
0: you know. And, and clearly it makes an impact, not just only physically and in their play, but mentally. I mean, great example, Marco Estrada. Mm-hmm. He, he's at a press conference, says, that just, we're just a ton, bunch of dirtbags. It may, clearly it still resonates, and and that grit and determination still is a big part of who they are no doubt. today. Yeah, no question. Now, we're we're driving into a new era here uh, with, with dirtbags baseball. Some major renovations happening at Blair Field. In fact, uh, we, we've talked about this, maybe the largest renovations in, in the athletic department since the pyramid was built. Uh, with that being said, wh- we, we've got the, the new t- uh, Tula Whiskey batting cage that's right. going up, the uh, Weaver bullpen, Jared Weaver. Um, where do you see this, this renovation impacting the program? How, how important is this moving forward for the Dirtbags program?
1: Well, I, I think it's a it's a sign of progress. It's a sign of you know the what the players believe, how much ex- good experience they had because all of this money and all of this fundraising effort has come from, you know, f- you know donations. So that says a lot from Evan to Vargas to low to Jared, to Marilyn, who Absolutely, didn't actually yeah. play here, but um, is very, very, you know, tons of ownership into what we're doing here. Um, so it says that there's a commitment to those people and their experiences here were a positive to help us improve our facilities. A- and you have to get better. I mean, and part of that is facility improvements. I mean, if you're not getting better with facilities then you're going backwards because everybody else is getting better in some capacity. So, you know, I, I don't believe in staying stagnant and staying even. So I think with this new facility, I think the biggest impact it shows is a commitment to the public, to our players, and to potential incoming players as to what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get better. So I think that speaks volumes based off of what the structures are going up now the legitimate structures that are structures that are in place i think is going to help the current team that is here from a development standpoint and a team standpoint because we have better facilities where guys want to work we have bigger facilities to be able to do different things in order to hopefully expedite and speed up the process of improving based off the limitations of the hours that the nc2a puts on all of us mm-hmm. so You know, who doesn't want a nice house? I mean, you know, if you got a nice garage, you want to have a nice family room. You know, so I I think that's it. And we want to keep getting better because we want our guys to be together on the field, at the field. It's very, very important, you know, for that cemetery to be able to continue to, to work. And with that comes a nice facility where you want to hang out there. Comes a nice bullpen where you can't wait to get to work. You know, a nice feel that we're putting more commitment to. Um, you know, I think I think that part will impact. It will impact recruiting some, but I don't think it's going to impact it. You know, on the eighty percentile, I think it's going to be more in the 30, 35 percent, because the fact of the matter is, the other programs that we're competing against have similar, you know, things that they're offering too. You know, so we're just we're just at least kind of getting to that quality bar level maybe a little bit above the big west conference that is but i think we're all shooting for bigger things than you know taking care of your own conference as well
0: yeah i mean let's not insinuate you're going for national championship yeah
1: i mean without saying we're going you know without shortchanging the process yeah of course but you have to take care of your conference in order to take care of the next step in order to take care of the next step but Yes, long-range-wise, yeah, we want to win a national championship. I mean, that's why we're in this, too.
0: One thing I love about baseball is it's a microcosm of life. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got challenge, you've got adversity. If you win two out of three, that's a great thing. You just keep winning two out of three. Uh, You know, guys who who are hitting 30%, well, that's, you know, 300 batting average. That's a big deal. Sure. Every player, every coach faces adversity. It's going to happen, especially in baseball. What, what do you tell your team or what do you do, you do yourself to help overcome this adversity and, and do it in a manner that creates and affects positive change you've mentioned?
1: Well, I think uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, internally, you, you go through a roller coaster when, when things happen. Personally, I mean, I'll be the first to say, you know, you, you end up going into these default responses, which are you feel sorry for yourself or why us? or questioning, and you spend more energy sometimes, you hope you don't, but you spend more energy on those, which you can't do anything about anymore because they're done, if they're injuries, uh, field conditions, travel setbacks, whatever it may be, um, versus what you can control. So it goes back to events and responses, outcome. And we have to control the responses. So no excuses. That's one way to start. And you end up saying that these things are not going to limit us from still being successful because we have depth. We have quality people in this program. So you have different things like that. Um, now, when it comes to individual failure where a guy's draft year and, you know he's 0 for 20 to start the year, and he thinks it's at the end of the world. Those are individual things that you have to individualize with that particular player in order to get him out of these particular funks that they may end up drifting in and out of fogs, I would call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to a team standpoint, I mean we've had we've been beset by injuries. You know in 2012, 2013. We tried to get into Wichita one year, and we didn't get in till 1 o'clock in the morning because of weather and they missed our bags. And we ended up working out at 1.45 in the morning in their field house. And we were like 8 and 16 at the time. But we win two out of three out there, completely changed the mojo. The bottom line is we could sit there and blame the airline. We could blame the weather. We could do all that stuff but we're not addressing the reality of what's going on because nobody really cares. Honestly, no, no, (laughs) nobody, nobody really cares because everybody has some type of issues and nobody's going to feel sorry for you. That's the bottom line.
0: That's the dirt bag way, right? Sure. Yeah. Incredible coach. It's uh, it's been great having you on the show today. Now, last season was a special season. We, we, uh, we made a little run, obviously not as far as we wanted to, but in terms of the fan response, um, Last year was the second highest attended season since the Dirtbags moniker came in in 1989. Incredible. Our our fans are responding. They love the program. If you could say something to them today, those listening to this podcast, what what would you say to our fans?
1: Well, I'd first say thanks to you and uh, Kelly and the marketing because that, that, that has a lot to do with it too, being able to promote what we're doing here. I mean, I've always felt that it's our job to take care of what we can't control, which is on the field. So our schedule, our production within our schedule, the way we play the game, um, you know, those type of things. So as far as to the fans, I mean, the community here has always been loyal. They have always been responsive. They have always been thirsty for the history of what this place provides, knowing full well that we don't have everything, we don't want everything but we have what we need to be successful. And there's no question we have all that. And, you know, to come out and support and see the growth of the team as we go through our different cycles that we're going to go through, non-conference, midweek games, eventually into conference play, you know, and, and see the growth of the team and, and support the things that we're doing and the things that we're doing well, knowing full well that we're going to be prepared that we're going to put forth massive competitiveness, that we're going to make mistakes, that you're going to close your eyes and you're going to question what we're doing. Um, and that's fine. And you have, they have every right to do that. But ultimately, we're all in this together. And our team feels a high affinity for the community. They know how important, and we continue to stress how important the history of the program is. And with that history comes the community support because they have always been there you know, from a success standpoint and, and being constant through good and bad. And and I think this program over the course of the years has been the most consistent program as far as that's concerned that has sustained lean years in other sports and high years in other sports. And we're just trying to stay as consistent as possible with that continuity and consistency leading to a national championship. I mean, that's ultimately what we're shooting for. But we're, we're going to have fun. We're going to compete. You're going to see some spirit out there. Uh, you're going to see some personality. Um, but at the same time, we're going to do things right and we're going to respect the game. And, you know, I, I think, guys, the, the, the community appreciates that, especially when they know the game like that.
0: Absolutely. Buck, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, and Rob, thanks hope for having to, me. Uh, hope to see you in Omaha.
1: Absolutely, me too.
0: All right, go dirtbags. <laughs> Appreciate it. The Beach All Access Podcast is a presentation of the Long Beach State Radio Network on K-Beach. Go Beach!